Strap yourself in because we're set up, switched on, and ready to go. Sit down if you need. The hits just keep on coming. It's voices up close. Here is your host, Mark Benton. Grand opening, and I can't thank you enough for pushing play with me on this today. Welcome to a new vehicle for your ears and mind called Voices Up Close. I'm your host, Mike Benton, and we're going to have fun with this, folks. So here we go. Out of the driveway, we shift first gear with why we're doing this. Being blunt, gift of time helped me conceive this project with you here today. So my hope is while we're doing our best to be socially distant now, we'll get back to normal soon. And this podcast, by that time, has enough steam to keep moving on and on down the road. It's a project that I've been pondering a while, I'll admit that. But now it's a pretty ideal time to get this up and running. So with that being said, I am very, very happy to share it with you. My full-time work done with year five of play-by-play radio site for the Everett Silver Tips of the Western Hockey League. Over a thousand games called WHL, minor professional hockey. So my hope with that, mentioning those bullet points, is the experiences gained from these past 15 years and counting will help bring amazing guests similar to my line of work and tell a story for you right here. So we'll start building a catalog of episodes of some of your favorite broadcasters and eventually personalities. And we'll hear from them on their background. Maybe there's something that you didn't know about them, which you'll learn. And we'll hear their personally handpicked favorite calls of their career on top of that. And we'll also play a fun word association game with their career experiences. We'll even get to know more about them once the red light is off or the sign-off is complete for their day-to-day work and what builds the person that they've become. And maybe, along the way, we'll learn something that we can share in common. So whether you're a sports nut and just want to connect with your favorite on-air voices, or you've tuned in for this while building a broadcast career with similar goals, there's something for you on this podcast, and I certainly hope that you enjoy it. So folks, in the meantime, give me feedback. Give me suggestions. you got a potential guest that you'd like to hear from? Go ahead. Reach out to me. I want to connect with you. Easiest place to do that? At Twitter. I'm at Benton underscore Mike on Twitter. Again, Benton underscore Mike. So go ahead, at me there. DM me. Can't wait to hear from you, and certainly over time we'll take your suggestions and uh, use those here to our advantage in what is going to be a, a terrific project building up over time here on this podcast. So while we've taken care of why we're doing this, now to who we're getting to. Esteemed guest number one, he's been on air for a very, very long time, and I'm proud to not just call him a colleague, but also a role model. And his resume and experiences speak for itself. NHL, NFL, baseball the NBA on his resume. With that, let's listen to Pete Weber. Well, this is it. People have been waiting for this one now. Waiting, waiting, and waiting. And then it has to go back to January 1st, 1967, when Buffalo fans had the chance to see a game of this magnitude. Now, when you get right down to it, you've called upon various historical references, but to this point of this game, in terms of Buffalo Bills history, To paraphrase Winston Churchill, this gentleman is the Buffalo Bills' finest hour. There's a shot. Bradley can only turn and watch that baby fly out of here. Galley off the wall, tipped out by Barnaby. Now Duchesne, his pass deflected away. Comes to Derek Quinn on the right wing. The shot, Derek Quinn scores! And the Sabres move on to round number two. 3-2 in overtime. A 
Shot tonight 41 18 and win the game 6 3. I am thrilled to bring on our first guest here for this pilot episode. Handling play by play for many, many years. Nashville Predators since the inception, 1998. Also on the resume, Buffalo Sabres, Buffalo Bills, AAA Baseball, Buffalo Bison, Seattle Supersonics, Notre Dame, U of Buffalo, Team USA Hockey at the 84 Winter Olympics. What have you not called in your career? Pete Weber, thank you for joining us here. Well, thank you very much. I've never done a, a regular season Major League Baseball game, but I think it's good that you mentioned the Buffalo Bisons. This anniversary, August, uh, April the 14th in 1988, a brand new, sterling, clean baseball facility opened up in downtown Buffalo. And it was a, a day I will never forget. Bob Patterson took a no-hitter into the seventh inning. Tom Prince accounted for the only run of the game with a home run. And what a day we all had. How much were you following the Cleveland Indians during the 90s? I, I followed them quite a bit because many of their players were coming through Buffalo. Uh, I was thinking about a guy that didn't get much of a chance to make an imprint there, but made a big imprint on Buffalo, and that was Billy Ripken. He was the MVP of the team in 95, his one year there. And he even took a day off during the playoff series with Oklahoma, with Omaha to go to Baltimore. They were having some sort of celebration for his brother. Something about breaking Lou Gehrig's record. Who is he? Yeah, yeah. Cal Jr., I believe, was the name. How does a Ripken take a day off anyway? That is the greatest question of them all. Now, Cal, as we all know, rarely if ever. Cal Ripken Jr. barely took an inning off during that stretch. So that was what was amazing. Pete, best day of your career was when? Best day of my career in many ways had to be walking into PPG Paints Arena in Pittsburgh for game one of my first ever Stanley Cup final. But there were others that are that are close to that and probably walking nervously into the broadcast booth uh, in Victoria, B.C. with Bob Miller to do my first NHL broadcast, a preseason game with the Vancouver Canucks. I'll never forget, Daryl Edistrand was my first ever intermission guest, and it turned out he had broken in with one Terrence Arthur Crisp many, many years before all of that, but that was in the fall of 78. And <laughs> going into... Uh, the old sombrero in Tampa Bay for Super Bowl 25 in January of 1991. That was a special time, too. The difference in helping set up a broadcast and carrying that over the air back from day one with the Los Angeles Kings to now with Nashville is what? Uh, well, number one, I'm doing play-by-play. -play. I was doing the color with Bob. But technically, 
we have so many more advantages than we did then. I can give you an example of what it was like in those days with the Kings. And for those who are not aware, it's from 1978 to 81. One year, our flagship station was in San Diego. The return feed from KOGO came back up to the forum and, you know, it's traversing about 120, 130 miles at that point. So if we had kept our headphone levels up to listen to that return feed, we would have heard that horrible delay that often sometimes happens on broadcast anyway. But so we would turn that down and just turn it up when we went to a break to make sure the commercial was rolling. Uh, and also in L.A., the other accommodation we had to make, we were on with uh, Ricky D's station, uh, KIS. Yes. And he... Well, their AM station carried our games mostly on the weekends, and they changed their call letters to KPRZ because they sold the time to over-the-air ministers and had religious programming. So on Saturday nights from the Forum, Kings Hockey, complete with Randy Holt, the single-game penalty minute record holder in the NHL still to this day, <laughs> followed the rosary on KPRZ. So different things happened on the course of your career. Yeah, that's what we call a segue. A tremendously difficult-to-understand <laughs> segue, yes. I can't thank you enough for joining us here. Uh, great story, Brent Peterson, and one time saying you've got an incredible photographic memory. Can you name the starting lineup for the first game in Predators history. Well, yeah, Mike Dunham was in goal. The starting Damn. forward line was uh, Greg Johnson and Andrew Brunette uh, and Sergei Krivokrasov. And I believe the defenseman, uh, Kimo Timonen, was still on the minors. I believe it was Jamie Heward and Drake Barahowski. Ooh, you're so close. You, I, I, you, were, you were on a roll. Can I, can I uh, yeah. g- give you a hint here? Sure. Initials JBBB. Ah, Joel Bouchard. Okay, yes. and Bob Bugner. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Incredible. I, I sure remember Bob Bugner. He came here with me from Buffalo. Yes. And the bonus, they defeated blank by a final score of blank. Okay, they lost that first game. Yeah. One nothing. One nothing. Ding, Kirk ding. McLean of the Florida Panthers. Ding, ding. Whom they had, it seemed like they had played the Panthers like 95 times in the preseason. It really wasn't quite that many. They won their next game, uh, their second game against the Carolina Hurricanes, 3-2. And that game encompassed perhaps one of my biggest disappointments in broadcasting. You're starting with a new team. You get to be a part of its birth. I couldn't call the team's first goal because it wasn't awarded until after a lengthy replay review mm. where the, the officials finally determined Andrew Brunette should have had the goal had the net not been knocked off its mooring. So and I said, I'm not even going to fake this. I just had to wait. It got announced, and the recording I carry of that is of John Forslund and Trip Tracy uh, arguing on the air over whether a goal was going to be awarded <laughs> or not. How can you prepare for a situation like that, whether it reps on the air or just as far as ad-libbing? I think it's reps as ad-libbing. I, I think uh, in sometimes, in some cases, you're probably better off thinking about doing a stand-up routine at Zany's Comedy Club on 8th <laughs> Avenue here in Nashville. Rather, they think, so it, You just have to be at ease describing what you see as it comes to you. You might imagine certain things beginning to unfold, but if they don't, you're really left yourself up a creek. What's the most important role a broadcaster can play in the association with a listener? Uh, finding some way 
to relate to the listener so that that listener is uh, going to welcome you into his radio, into his ears, into his personality throughout the course of the years. So that, I think, means you have to be reliable. And you have to be able to uh, perform whatever duty they imagine you need. And one of them, I don't have it in front of me here, but is to have that little egg timer in front of you so that when they're tuning in in the middle of a broadcast, you give the score at least every three minutes. Flip it over and give that score. Average day for you since the NHL went on pause is what? Uh, struggle to open my eyes in the morning, <laughs> get up, come downstairs here. My office is downstairs in the house. And the next room over is my recumbent bike, put in 40, 45 minutes on it. And Sunday, I went whole hog. I went 50 minutes that day on the bike. And then, well, then shortly thereafter, I'm ready for a shower and then a nap. <laughs> and, and, then, and then you come back and, and get to the computers and put some work out. Later on today... I will do a, the next couple of weeks uh, worth, and it's just one a week this week in Predators history for our flagship station. And getting up out of bed, wiping the eyes, and just fighting your way to get away to the bike, that is completely relatable, and that is why yeah, I it, admire you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. What I have by... Uh, my orange tabby cat, who looks worse than I do in the morning, if you can imagine. <laughs> uh, that makes it even more difficult. What's your next home project goal you haven't yet tackled since staying at home? Uh, I uh, Well, the big one, and now it's time to forge on through because I won't need to have an income tax extension this year. Usually I'm so busy with the NHL postseason and so on, and, you know, fingers crossed that we have one of those again. But uh, we have the extension until July. So I will be uh, doing, shall we say, forensic accounting on 2019 <laughs> and putting that all together for my tax guy. Uncle Sam calls, Pete Weber picks up the phone. It's all good. Just so everybody knows, Uncle Sam does not call you. He does not email you. He only sends a snail mail. <laughs> the show. Time now for the show. It is the best calls of Pete Weber, and you and I had a discussion of this. I'll go through number one. First off, 1991, Buffalo Bills versus the Raiders AFC title game. Yards on that one, 62 yards in total, six plays, and a 34-yarder to James Lofton, capped by an eight-yarder to Lofton for the touchdown. The Bills on the scoreboard clock there, utilizing just one minute and 50 seconds. Their drives have gone in this order. Three minutes and 24 seconds for 75 yards, which they were hampered by a penalty and actually had to cover 85. A minute one for 66 yards and a touchdown, converting a turnover the interception for a touchdown. 57 yards and 13 plays, 548 sticking with the run. 80 yards and seven plays, two minutes and 33 seconds. And 62 yards, six plays, a minute 50. What do you recall about that day? Well, number one, it came, I didn't get, get as much preparation time as I wanted because that was on the eve of my uh, birthday and my wife decided to throw a surprise party. So while I'm upstairs doing my preparation, all of a sudden the doorbell is ringing consistently. And after about 30 people came to the house, I had an idea something was up. Uh, so I had to retire for that and then work overnight uh, going to that game. But in many ways, that was good. 
because I couldn't sleep going to that game anyway. Uh, one of the Bills' better games that year was a big comeback against the Raiders, a game that was on TNT, and they scored uh, two touchdowns in the matter of about 70 seconds and came back, including Nate Odom stealing the ball away from Willie Galt and going down the sideline for a pick six. If Scott Norwood nails that field goal in the Super Bowl, how much of Bill's history is changed? I don't think they would have the hunger to go back to three more Super Bowls consistently. I think there's always that natural bit of relaxation. But I think that's what drove them, not that kick that was wide right, but I think the fact that they lost that one, lost the second, lost the third, that pushed them onto the fourth and really – Pushing them onto the fourth was that incredible comeback against the Houston Oilers in the first round where they were down 35-3 midway through the third quarter and came back and won 41-38 in overtime. When you cover a team that has a no-huddle offense, how does that change the way that you call a game versus your traditional team? It changes a great deal. Now, we had a little bit of a tutorial on that in the late 80s. Uh, that was the Cincinnati Bengals ran it on occasion for a while under Sam Weiss. So we saw that, and I think the Bills just picked up on that and uh, you know, actually perfected it because they had the offensive weapons that the Bengals did not. I just saw Icky Woods on TV again the other night, and I'm going, boy, that guy was a fearsome runner. Right now, he looks like somebody who might be well, he could have qualified if they reshoot some of the old James Bond movies. I think Icky Woods could be odd job today from the James Bond flicks. Uh, but that was uh, preparatory to it. So you just know, as a color commentator, you got to get in and get it out very quickly because they're running plays off on the order of, uh, well, the play clock that we talk about today never would play a role of any significance anyway. Kelly off the wall, tipped out by Barnaby. Now Duchesne, his pass deflected away. Comes to Derek Quinn on the right wing. The shot, Derek Quinn scores! Come back on, piece of it. And the Sabres move on to round number two. 3-2 in overtime at 5-24. Oh, yes. Call number two, Buffalo Sabres, 1997 Stanley Cup playoffs. Derek Plant scores. What did that building feel like? It was shaking. It really was shaking. We could feel it in the booth, and that was the first year of that building. So it was as stout as it was ever going to be at that point in time. And the other thing that was big about that, Mike, that is to this date still the only playoff Game 7 win in Sabres history. And uh, uh, Derek and I exchanged a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of correspondence, phone calls, etc. He has brought his three boys here to play in youth hockey tournaments at the facilities built by the Predators over the years. And uh, we also, Claudia and I, my wife and I, uh, oftentimes would dog sit his bulldog, T, T-I-T, and uh, he took over our hearts, too. Martin Jones plays it over for Braun. Wilson stops it. Comes out for Eckholt. Stop. Rebound. Fisher scores. Mark Fisher scores. Ah, yeah. Go in. At 11-12 of the third overtime, the Predators have tied the series. It's a 4-3 win. Holy cow. Call three. Mike Fisher scores. The Predators win in triple overtime. 2016 Stanley Cup playoffs. Last time you called a game that riveting was when? Then. 
when you get right down to it, absolutely. I mean, it was it was after one o'clock in the morning Central Time. We didn't have as late a start as we thought we might have. Uh, in the Central Time Zone, uh, particularly Western Conference teams, oftentimes get stuck with an 8:45 faceoff. So we actually, I think, got the game going shortly after 8 o'clock that night. But still, you're in triple overtime. It's after 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I'm looking over at Brent Peterson, and the adrenaline is surging through him. But that next game, uh, two nights later, uh, when we went to uh, San Jose, uh, both of us were a little groggy, I got to tell you, mm-hmm. going into that one. And then, of course, game seven, or uh, coming back here, game seven in uh, San Jose was uh, well, not the best contest of all time. Five nothing, Sharks. But then you made up for it in 2017, and then some with the Predators going to the Stanley Cup Final, which leads us right into this. Draw pulled back to the end board. They're going to let it run down without any more. And there we go, folks. Sit down if you need. The Nashville Predators are going to the Stanley Cup Final. They celebrate around Pecorine in the Nashville goal. Predators outshot tonight 41-18 and win the game 6-3. And what was so incredible, Pete, and you mentioned the words sit down for a call like that. You discussed the power of ad-libbing when it comes to an incredible impact-making call. That's one that will stand the test of time in Predators history. And it, it was so riveting based on how much elation that Predators fans felt. How much preparation do you or should you put into a call like that? I don't think you should. I really don't. I think it just has to be honest emotion. Um, one call we've heard a lot of the last week or so was that of Henry Aaron's 715th home run. Mm-hmm. And that one to me sounded, you know, I'm sorry, and I know I'm a Perry Carey partisan, and Milo Hamilton and he were at each other's throats oftentimes in their careers, but that just sounded so hokey to me. I, I loved, obviously, and the supreme being in our business, Vince Scully, and the way his call went on that. Take the headphones off. Walk away from the microphone, pour a cup of coffee, and let the crowd take over. Exactly, exactly. And then let Craig Sager come out in his white trench coat to home plate and try to interview all the members of the Aaron family who congregated there. Oh, Craig Sager, we loved you back in the day, whether it might have been white trench coat or even something that had about 50 shades of plaid as well. Only 50? Come on, you're, you're shortchanging the <laughs> I <man>. am, actually. The <laughs> work. Word association. Uh, Time now for the work, and this is uh, what's called our word association part here. And, uh, Pete, this goes back to several people or places here that have been a part of your career throughout the years. So pretty simple. I give you one word, and you give me the description that certainly fits it best and that comes to your head off the bat, beginning with number one, Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz is unlike any coach I've ever worked with before number one as many people would say he is the supreme mensch a great human being uh tremendous understanding of all that is necessary uh i could put a microphone in front of him ask a question 
I could walk away, maybe go around the block or come back two weeks later. He'd still be going for me. And it would be cogent information that he'd be passing along to us. Barry Trotz, tremendous human being. We still see him around here in summer times, maybe not with this uh, period of time where we're going through COVID-19, but uh, we shall see him again this summer. Gary Underwood. Gary Underwood, I hate to tell you this, folks. She's a great performer, but she might be one of the shyest people I have ever run into in my life. <laughs> I mean, so somebody, there's a switch that is flipped on this Oklahoma girl when she goes out on stage. And then in private, boy, is she private. But she did tell my wife. She told my wife the best thing for me, a prescription from Dr. Carrie Underwood, if you, and she plays one on the stage. Uh, when you're having a rough time with your voice, in the middle of a tour for her, perhaps in the middle of flu season for me, she told Claudia, chamomile tea, a little bit of honey, and maybe one of those airline bottles of Jack Daniels, and that is the cure. Secret sauce. Yes, secret sauce. Number three, P.K. Subban. P.K. Subban, uh, we've got to try to find a way to drag him out of his shell. I think uh, <laughs> he, he is the antithesis of Carrie Underwood. He uh, is as ebullient as any person I have ever met, sports, entertainment, whatever walk of life you want to talk about. And I'm not going to throw accountants in there, okay? <laughs> but he, he is the guy that uh, if you, let's say you're walking around, you are hurting you don't have a pregame interview that is worth a darn. You come up to him with the recorder, and all of a sudden, you have a pregame interview. Number four, Seattle, Washington. Seattle, Washington. My one season with the Seattle Sonics. And I I lived in Bellevue, uh, not far from what was then the Sonics Racket Club. I worked with Jim Marsh, who was my color commentator, who passed away in the course of this last year. And Jim was one of those guys that when he played in the NBA, he was, the rule was, if someone was injured and couldn't take their foul shot, the coach on the other team could select whom he wanted off that other team. Didn't have to be in the game, but had to be on the roster to shoot the foul shot. I think Jim was chosen three or four times to play that role because they knew he wasn't going to hit the foul shot. I think he was his generation's version of uh, Shaquille O'Neal or Wilt in terms of making foul shots. But he had a very popular teammate at USC named Tom Selleck. I'll never forget in uh, May of uh, 19... <laughs> in May of my one year with the Sonics, the Sonics were done, knocked out of the playoffs... But Associated Press Radio, with whom I had had a stringing relationship for many years, asked me to stay to cover at least the first try, and he made it on his first try, Gaylord Perry's attempt for his 300th Major League victory. And the one thing I remember about that game, there we were, Gaylord Perry makes it, his 300th victory. And in the dugout, they were playing against the Yankees, I watched Doyle Alexander get angry coming back into the dugout after a half inning. And with his right hand, he punches the dugout wall. Broke his finger. He was done for the night and for quite some time thereafter. And then Gaylord Perry came up with a big-time win. Number five, and I was waiting so badly here to get to this one. Terry okay. Crisp. Terry Crisp, my best friend. 
a guy who uh, never remembered me interviewing him when he was coaching either the Calgary Flames or Tampa Bay Lightning, but Jerry Helper, who had worked with us both, me at the Sabres and Terry at the Lightning, had an idea that we would have pretty good chemistry on the air. I think we'd have to say that Jerry had very good instincts in that regard. Terry Crisp is as genuine as they come. Yes, I knew a few of his hot buttons, and I would push them on more than a few occasions because it would turn out to be so darned entertaining, if not just for me, but for our audience as well. And to unleash Terry Crisp on the population was my privilege. Number six, Bob Bugner. Bobby Bugner. Here was a guy that came to the Sabres because he had played for Ted Nolan in junior. That's Ted pushed for the trade for him. He pushed for another trade that did not come through, and that would have been really interesting, Chris Simon. But Bob Bugner, I called his first NHL goal. As a matter of fact, I said, send, send you that call because he was not exactly known as a great scorer. So my call in the autumn Buffalo was, stop the game. Bob Bugner has just scored his first NHL goal. That's why I brought that up, because we drafted one of his players here, and that would be Ryan Ellis. And I said, Ryan, clearly you did not copy your coach's shot. Number seven, Bob Miller. (laughs) My mentor, my very good friend, someone I'm in contact with on a fairly regular basis, certainly through the hockey season. And when the Kings flew my wife and me out for the unveiling of his statue a couple of years ago and brought another good friend, Jiggs McDonald, out for that ceremony, that was just absolutely fantastic. Number eight, Rick Jenneret. Rick Jenneret. I'm going to do uh, an impression of Rick, and I don't do many impressions. I, oh, I'm here we not, go. Uh, uh, and then I'll tell the story afterward. Here comes Housley to center. Somebody stole my beer. They dump it down to the right-wing corner. Okay, that was a night in Hartford <laughs> when the broadcast location was at the top of the lower bowl before they built what was upstairs in the Civic Center. And it was just like 10 days beforehand. Mike Robitaille could see that Rick was getting thirsty, so he stopped a beer vendor going by in the stands and got one and sat one down in front of Rick. And Rick would tell you he could immediately see Rick's face begin to relax. He was no longer hyper about this. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, if we remember the television show, The Adams Family, or the, at least the replays, all of a sudden a hand began to come up from down below on the stands like Thing on The Adams Family and <laughs> Snatch that beer away. And that was Rick's call of that moment. Number nine, the odd. Where I met my wife uh, the night downstairs between the uh, outside my studio before the Predators faced the Quebec Nordiques. And uh, then I'll never forget, uh, you know, broadcasting the last game there, which was April 14th, 1996 against the Hartford Whalers and Michael Peck of the last goal Derek Plant had a couple of goals in that game Patty LaFontaine had one as well and a beautiful setup from Randy Burridge and then the last fight at the odd how about this Hartford goaltender Jason Mazzotti Mm. and Gary Galley Sabres defenseman what was he doing in front of the other teams (laughs) so they both got tossed from the game a few minutes before that Rob Ray 
the Sabres penalty minute leader, he got tossed in the game too. So there are a bunch of Sabres alums waiting in the dressing room for the post-game on-ice ceremony. So Rob Ray was showered, dressed, and was able to go th- over all the stories with the guys. And he had like a period and a half in which to do that before they got came out and brought the banners down and, and tucked them away to go a couple blocks away to the new rink. And actually, if you go back over the video, Rob was tossed effectively for verbal harassment of the Whaler bench. I believe it was kind of like what happened uh, with the Bruins and the uh, North Stars years before where there was a challenge to the other team's whole bench and nobody would answer. Hockey players have long memories. Yes, they do. Number 10, Tim McGraw. Tim McGraw. I mean, from the outset of this franchise, it's been, I like it, I love it, I want some more of it. But what I really remember about Tim is his father. I was doing Buffalo baseball in Oklahoma City in the early 90s, and Tug McGraw, his dad, was doing a local appearance at that time for the Major League Baseball alumni. And when he's talking with me, not and I had no idea at that point in time I was going to end up in Nashville, but he's telling me about this son he had just recently discovered was his son and how he was trying to get himself started in the country music business so every time i hear i like it i love it i want some more of it i still see tug mcgraw talking to me about his son hoping he can make it yeah i think tim mcgraw certainly made it and then some man he's got now a career that rivals tug mcgraw as far as prestige oh yeah Without any question. And what a job he did in the movie The Blind Side. Pete, all first off begin, away from the rink. What kind of role has Claudia played in your life? Well, she's been my support mechanism, that's for certain. Uh, we got married late. We've been married over 30 years now. But she said the reason we have been married 30 years is this phrase known as road trips. And uh, now we're away from road trips for a while. I mean, uh, it, it seems like eons ago that I came back home from Toronto in the midst of this shutdown of the NHL. But it was what? That was uh, March the 12th when we came back home. So, but this, she is there for me. She takes care of so many things, little and large, and uh, understands what it's like to go through, I, I think, a life like this sometimes maybe not understanding specifically the rules of the games I'm involved in, but uh, she loves it. Uh, She was a sports fan to begin with, and we do have, if you will, really a mixed marriage. She was at Ohio State and me from Notre Dame, and thankfully, I think twice since we moved here in 98, we've had bowl games to be contentious about, and uh, those always made for some fun times. In other words, opposites attract. Yes, I, I think this is the uh, sort of like the whole magnetic theory, right? Yep. Uh, get the positive pull against the negative pull. Don't go the other way around. What is your favorite off day? Well, what would comprise that? Okay, I would like number one. The, the favorite off day for me, there's, there's two, on the road and at home. On the road, I want to be in Los Angeles, and having a chance, or or any place really in the southern climes, to go to a ball game, and that's even happened for me during the playoffs several years ago in St. Louis, where I only got to see three Cardinals games during that one playoff series, uh, and that was my favorite team growing up. At home, I want to just be able to relax, 
get, I know it's more difficult now, but get the papers and go through them. Have like a, a thing of coffee that is easily 20 ounces minimal and sip on that and uh, take the day easily and then take Claudia out for dinner at night. What defines your boundaries when it comes time to step across the front door as Pete Weber, the husband, after you get home from the rink? Oftentimes, though, we return home together from home games. Okay. So uh, so the boundaries, I guess, all of a sudden creep up in the car <laughs> on the way home. If it's been uh, a bad game, and I just don't want to talk about the game at all. That's when, of course, I get the most questions about the game that just passed by. The old, uh, well, the same thing we get from the children, and and that is uh, why. The, the biggest question, the greatest question really of all, which is one we as broadcasters oftentimes are put into an uncomfortable position of answering. Uh, but other than that, no, I, I think 30-plus uh, years together, we have learned what the boundaries are, and they're unspeakable, but we understand them. What kind of role did she play in helping you recover after you got through the heart attack and rebounded right back to form? A big role, uh, and number one was insisting, because the doctors told us that we could. Uh, that went right into the 2014 Olympic break. It was So I missed the two games prior to that Olympic break. Uh, and then we had already made plans during that Olympic break to go to pitchers and catchers in Florida. And so we did precisely that, joined some of our friends from Western New York down there. First day was uh, going to go see the Braves and got to see my profane friend, uh, Lee Elia, on the field at the Brave Spring training site right away. And then uh, a day or so later, went to the Tigers at Lakeland. And one of my good bison friends dave clark third base coach was going over the signs with the players that day so he and my friend bruce and i were chatting before it was time for the afternoon session i said okay dave what are you doing today and he goes i'm going over the signs <laughs> and i said okay this is going to be a treat for me now do you want to do what preston gomez always did the guy who was third base coach for walter alston for years and later managed both san diego and houston you know what he did? Everybody was always afraid of what happens when there is a trade. So he made up a set of individual signs for each player. So that if there were a trade, they would only lose the signs that that player knew. Now, you have to have an incredible random access memory built into the cranium to be able to pull that off. And I was just wishing that he had had a set of twins on the team uh, <laughs> to, to, to really test Preston Gomez. But Dave said, you know, I think I'll do this more simply than that. When it came to recovering Pete after the heart attack, greatest challenge, was it more mental or was it more physical as far as lifestyle? I had already actually changed my diet a year and a half before that. Hmm. And my cardiologist told me that what that had done was probably delay the onset of what had hit me. And uh, so it was more an idea, I think, mentally getting confidence back, though the doctor had told me right away. Uh, so that happened on a Thursday. You could go back on Tuesday. Hmm. Uh, and it was kind of like what happened uh, with Gord Wilson of the Ottawa Senators. We both ended up with immediately the installation of three stents in our arteries and uh, then got back to work. Now, I have not been challenged 
uh, knock on Formica here as Gord has been, because then Gord got uh, diagnosed with COVID-19 yeah. when he was on the West Coast with the Senators. And as a matter of fact, I should call him again here later today, but uh, he seems to be doing fine. So it was the confidence that you could do it. Uh, and my cardiologist, thankfully, here in Nashville, uh, has a hockey connection. He was at the very same Olympic trials I attended, trying to get a broadcasting job, in 1976 with the U.S. Olympic team in Bloomington, Minnesota. Hmm. He was trying out as a player. And uh, so many of our conversations, much to Claudia's chagrin, seem to center on the game played on a 200 by 85. <laughs> and uh, that that could be a little frustrating, but uh, Dr. Freddie, uh, absolutely a, a great physician. I'm very fortunate that I ended up with him. How often are you checking the news these days per day? Oh, well now with the free time, uh, this is one of the moments you've caught me without CNN or MSNBC on in the background. Glad to be and in I service. Am, <laughs> yes, and I am just uh, waiting for Major League Baseball Network tonight to have Look who's coming up, playing out on the game from the 1988 World Series. If you could replay one game, have a choice of that on MLB Network, besides Game 1 in 1988, what's it going to be? Game 6, 2011. Mm. That was the big game for the Cardinals. That was the second time a member of the Buff family had said, see you tomorrow night. And uh, that was... Uh, a great time for me. And you had mentioned Barry Trotz earlier. We were watching that together downstairs at Bridgestone Arena after a Predators game had been completed. And uh, Barry Trotz, a friend of his, myself and some others, and they were just egging me on to do some Harry Carey impressions uh, during the course of that game. So I, I hope I fulfilled, well, they must have because they stayed to the very end with me until David Freeze's home run. Absolutely nailed it. Um, what's appropriate goal setting mean for you as a broadcaster each time you begin a new year? Uh, I, I think that it's got to be simple. I don't think it can be something. I'm going to call the Stanley Cup final and the, and the cup-winning goal. Very, very good uh, goal to have. Mm -hmm. But I think it's more like to be on top of every play. It was like Bob Miller's goal was always to be excited, call the goal before he could hear the crowd. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a little bit more difficult to do now because more of the goals are, are close in, tap-ins, redirects, uh, some sort of rebound play. But I think that's a good, honest goal to have. How long do you still prep each day for a broadcast? Well, it uh, seems like I don't prep at all now, but there's a good reason <laughs> for that. Uh, we, have, we have a lot of free time. Yeah, it helps to have those going. Uh, but I'll I probably should still be preparing for that Toronto game that has not been played yet uh, in Toronto. I, They all tend to run together. Yeah. We just had a trip that stopped. It was going to be a four-game trip. We played in Montreal. We're in Toronto awaiting the next one, which would have come the next night, when all of a sudden the pause button was hit by the NHL. Then we were going to go to Columbus and do a game with no fans in the stands. We were talking about that downstairs in the hotel before all this happened. And Ryan Johansson goes, I'm going to be able to hear everything you say. And I said, Ryan, I'm going to be able to hear everything you guys are saying down there, too. So I'm not going to have the mics turned up very high, I'll tell you that much. And then we were going to have uh, to, uh, let me see, we're going to finish out that trip where. But in any case, it was 
the unknown, which we are still in the midst of, although we have the pause button along with the unknown going for us right now. Number one, it's difficult for me to talk about for an individual broadcast. Uh, there's the game day, but usually the prep for the broadcast is involving going over what that team and a string of teams for me usually. Let's, For example, we're going on a four-game road trip. I am going to go over each of those four teams, yep. however long it might take, and get their last lineups together, then put together my Excel-based uh, two-sided score sheet so all my information is in one place, in one place that I can count upon finding it. Thanks to the design of Nick Nixon, who got that going, yep. and then I've taken it to another another uh, stretch for me, and I always want to have it on an 8.5 by 10 sheet of paper so or cardstock uh, so it's easy to work with uh my eyes are not as strong as maybe they were when we started with this but that's that still works for me and then i want to watch at least a period of video from a very recent game that team plays so on a game day i will come home if we're at home from the morning skate and watch a little bit of that team's video over again to refresh me of combinations, how the guys look, how they move. And if I'm really lucky, the game I'm watching is of them on the road before playing a game in here or at home before a game at their place. Or if it's Edmonton, it makes no difference because we're so far away from the ice surface, I can't see them anyway. I mean, we used to write a lot down to prep yes. our broadcast. How much is technology yes. a part of what you do now? A great part of it, without any question. Uh, and writing, I think, is still important when you're trying to get the numbers down. The trick I learned from Bob Miller is to use the side of an old envelope and just keep writing down the – start with the names, or rather the numbers, blank, and then fill the names in next to them. And after you get really good at it, maybe four or five times in, then you switch around and write all the names down and put the numbers next to them. And then the association is absolutely incredible. Most important book you've read in the last 30 years? is what most important book you know i'm because hockey is so such a big part of my life the book i'm going to recommend to people on the predators website a little bit during this pause is the book scotty scotty bowman working together with ken dryden just a fascinating read it's a very thick book it's not one you're going to get through in one night but it cost me two nights worth of sleep and i got through it uh, fascinating, fascinating read. And Scotty was a part of my, my career and uh, a recurrent one. It was game seven of the Predators Cup playoff with uh, Anaheim in 2016. Brent Peterson and I working together, and in the early stages of that game, my cell phone rang. And it was Scotty. And he said, hey, when I was able to talk to him, he said, tell your engineer, turn down the crowd noise. I can't hear you and Brent that well. So I said, thank you, coach. Hung up, and then I told that to the engineer. And when we signed off, I gave credit to our associate producer, William Scott Bowman. And Scotty Bowman is on top of everything. I can't think of a better way to go out as far as a bang than something like that, from trying to shuffle line changes to even the sound of the broadcast. <laughs> Scotty Bowman is legendary. Pete Weber, play-by-play -play Nashville Predators. I can't thank you enough here for doing this here on our pilot episode and certainly looking forward to talking to you down, down the road here once again. 
Thank you very much, Mike. Best of luck to you. And here is the pilot episode. And uh, I'll never forget the pilot episode from The Untouchables on television. So I hope you have as much success there. And who knows, maybe a Robert Stack will emerge from all of this, and it will be you. We've been christened. Pete, thank you. Thank you. I can't thank you enough. All right. Big thanks to Pete Weber joining us by phone in Tennessee. As of this recording, the Predators in the Stanley Cup playoff picture. And if the NHL pushes play on the rest of this season, they've got a chance. Their goal, get right back into the Stanley Cup playoffs and again get right back to the Cup Final in which last they appeared three years ago. Right now they're fifth in the Central Division, two points back of Winnipeg with still 13 games left on the regular season schedule. Right now they're tied with the Vancouver Canucks for the second wildcard spot, so it is very, very tight. But Pete's a guy who's entertained game audiences for decades. I'm proud to know him since 2003. He gave me time for advice and game call consultation. I'm forever indebted to him, and he's made a big impact on countless people in the world of sports. Quite simply, folks, Nashville is awfully lucky to have him. And hey, we're one day closer to finally getting back to live sports. So let's see this glass half full. And that means hearing more from Pete Weber over the air. We are one minute closer to just that. So big thanks to Pete for his time, insight, and humor. My word, he's funny. This is a great one here today. Next episode coming your way soon. And again, find me on Twitter, Benton underscore Mike. We're also at Podbean. Coming soon to more apps near you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us. This is Voices Up Close. I'm Mike Benton. And until next time, be safe and talk soon.